me see. Today we're going to continue our epic tale. Our story of the Emerged Worlds Dungeons & Dragons story that I've been writing for a very long time. If this is your first time tuning in for that, I recommend checking out the first couple parts first. It'll make a little bit more sense. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Alright, let's see. That's good. Okay. Ah, well, it is Christmas week. 2019. It is Sunday. Christmas is on Wednesday, so we are <clears throat> getting very close to the holiday. Uh, would it be okay if I listened to part one but not part two? I'd say. I mean, the characters we're doing this time are going to be continuing the characters from part two, but I mean, that was just a way of really kind of introducing them and, and getting them in, so that shouldn't be a problem at all. Going back and listening to two, you'll kind of get to see some of their pictures. I'm going to show kind of the actor, what they, what they look like again as we come across them to introduce this week. So uh, you'll be, you won't be missing much at all, just some of how they they got together to begin with. But like I said, well, I'm going to give it about four or five minutes before I really jump into it, make sure I got a chance for everybody to swing by. Uh, let's see. So I got the Minecraft server up and running today. Uh, the members, it's been opened up for the members right now, giving the members a chance to get in, troubleshoot it, and make sure everything is working okay. Uh, once we or know that that's okay, then we'll be throwing open some additional slots for uh, some of the non-members to get in and play as well. Um, I'm probably going to slightly limit how many people get in at a time just until we can kind of see how well the server is going to hold people, because uh, I don't want it to be a miserable experience for everybody. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. If I need to, I could potentially bump it up a, a little bit more. Uh, RAM on there isn't too expensive, but I want to try to keep costs down as less as I can, but I want to get as many people in playing, so it's kind of a Catch-22. <clears throat> but today, again, we are going to be delving into the story, getting a little bit closer to the... This this part of the story we're in now is really what I would consider the meat of the story. Uh, this is where we're introducing the characters and such that are going to be with us for the majority of the remaining story. Um, uh, we'll still have more that I'll introduce in, and Lord knows it goes through generations, but these characters were now... This is really the, the main tale. And I'll recap a little bit of last week before I jump right into the new one. Uh, but before I jump into that, I did say that on this stream I was going to show off something I showed off on the uh, one of my other streams previously. But since it's really more of a Dungeons & Dragons thing, I wanted to show it off here. Hello, Scott. <laughs> Welcome to part three. So, all right, so uh, I showed this off in one of my other streams. Uh, I can't remember which one. It might have been the membership big drive we did a week or so ago. I think it was last Sunday. Uh, but I am going to show it off again. A friend of mine uh, who is just overwhelmingly talented uh, made something for me. I'd ordered it a while back. I actually got it a while back, but haven't had a lot of chances to show it off yet. Um, and oddly enough, he put it in a box. And the box he put in, he custom made. And this is an ODG box that he made for me, which is pretty, pretty phenomenal. Um, but on top of that, that, this was an extra. The thing inside is what I actually ordered. He just threw this in. So I'm, I'm pretty happy. This is going to be a box for uh, rolling dice, and I'm going to put some felt down into the bottom of it for that. Um, but what he made for me was this. And this is an ODG. It's a... Uh, I haven't opened it many times since I got it, so it's still sticking a little bit from where the varnish was on there. But um, this is a D&D &D dice box. So there's a slot for all of your main dice, and then in the center there's a slot for you to put your little uh, figurine if you if you use those for D&D, uh, &D, which a lot of people do. I've used them for over time. Um, 
over all the time I played. I do use them occasionally, though not a whole lot. I use them more for main battles than anything else. Boss fights and such, where I have to have a... You know, it's much more things to keep track of. Um, but, yeah, he made that for me, um, and it is phenomenal, and I love it. And haven't had a chance to really bust it out with any D&D yet, but uh, I haven't played in a couple years, so I'm sure I'll get the opportunity to do that eventually. Especially if we start doing some actual D&D on the channel, which I would definitely like to get into. Um, all right, but uh, just a kind of recap from where we left off last week. Um, our eight main characters um, had had a couple little small adventures and then came to a little cabin in the woods. Inside, there was a person who seemed to know them, or at least know about them. Um, and then that person... Uh, transformed physically into several of the people that they'd seen across the earlier adventures to finally end up being Zoltan the Demigod, uh, the one who pretty much sent the um, Firemoon brothers originally into all their quests. Um, and he advised them that uh, the weapons, he that there's a f basically a shield around this new world keeping the gods out. They can't physically take form and it's limiting who they can speak with and how they can still send magic through to grant like priest spells and such. Um, but they have a very difficult time reaching people. Uh, he, on the other hand, is trapped on the inside. He can't get out. Uh, and the only way he knows of to fix it is to get a hold of all those darn magical artifacts that the Fire Moon brothers were chasing and that he's been guarding since basically the beginning of the universe. This universe. Um, but he said, hey, they're still out there. I need you to go get them back. Uh, but there's another dark force out there who's also trying to get them as well. Um, so really, I need you to get them before that thing is. I don't know what it is. I just know that it's a great darkness. Uh, so he basically gave them a couple of necklaces that uh, will, when spun, will shine a light in the direction of the closest magical artifact. Uh, he gave them two of those. Um, I don't think I stated it previously, uh, but both Artemis and Willow are the ones they decided would carry them, as they're the really cleric and druid, the cleric types. Um, they were going to kind of carry those, since most of the warriors and rogues and such are really kind of defensive around those those two characters, most in combat, it made sense to keep valuable items in, kind of in the center protected. Um, so then they rest. The next morning, Zoltan opens up a portal and says, I'm going to basically port you to, as close as I can get you to the, the first item, there's one in the kingdom I'm going to send you to. Um, your job is to get it back. So that's kind of where we left off. They went through the portal and uh, Zoltan just kind of smiled and you know, everything kind of went to black. He faded out. He said he'll t get in touch with them again in the future. Um, so that's where we were. Um, so uh, for those of you who may not have been here last time, I'm going to give a real quick recap on some of our main characters. Um, so the first one is Artemis. Artemis is an elven cleric of the god of uh, healing. Uh, that is the actress that I use that represents her. Um, that's kind of a little bit more of the outfit. Uh, that she uses. Uh, again, an elven cleric. Uh, next is Dandelion Nettleleaf, also called Dandy. She is a female Kender rogue. If you're not familiar with Kender, they are primarily from the Dragonlance uh, setting, um, and they're pretty awesome. Um, you'll see a lot of them in my stories because I like Kender a lot. Uh, next is Darsh Fohammer, who is a really, really big minotaur. Uh, that is the best picture that I have of Darsh. Uh, I don't really have, of course, an actor. Um, I have different actors I use for voices, and occasionally I'll mention them, but uh, the only difference between this picture and, and real Darsh is, of course, Darsh 
does not have three fingers. He has the regular five fingers. This Minotaur has three, but that's very much like kind of how I picture him. Uh, next is Fig. Uh, Fig is just a gnome warrior. Uh, he's raised by dwarves, uh, so he's acts more dwarven-like, even though he's gnome, keeps his head shaved. Uh, that's the actor. I use Jason Statham to kind of match him. Uh, next is Mercy Harriton, who is the daughter of a knight, and she herself is a human female warrior. Um, that's the actress we use for her. Um, she is a Morningstar user primarily. She uses swords and such too. She's trained in a lot, but Morningstar is kind of her uh, her primary weapon of choice. After that was uh, Shadow. Let me get rid of the other Mercy picture here. Uh, Shadow is an elven ranger. Uh, very quiet, doesn't talk a lot. Um, when he does, it's usually pretty important. Very big tracker. Um, very, very talented warrior. Um, has a hatred for a specific race, but we'll get into those a little bit later. Uh, that's the actor I use for him. After Shadow, we have Willow. Willow Bane is her name. Willow is an elven druid. Uh, that is the actress we use for her. That's a little bit more of the outfit, although she doesn't really carry a funky staff like that. Um, and she... Everybody has phobias. Her phobia is large crowds, which is going to be great because we're about to enter a city. That's going to come into play. Um, next is... Zarin, and Zarin is a halfling mage. Um, on the alignment spectrum, he is chaotic neutral. He's a little more self-serving than anyone else. Comes from a long family of um, mages for hire, um, and he's incredibly talented um, in his thing, but he is separate. He's just trying to find his way back to his family and so on and so forth. Uh, but always looking to make a penny. And that was uh, really... We had some other characters we showed that were um, like from the previous story, uh, but I'm not going to jump into them because we're not going to see any of them for quite a while, if ever again. Hmm, let's see. Mysterious. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and just jump right in then uh, from where we left off. So, um, oh, one last thing. I apologize. Way back in high school, when I first came up with these characters, again, remember, I'm really old. Um, I had a friend of mine in an art class draw for me the symbols that the Firemoon brothers used for their kingdoms, their personal crests, if you will. Um, and Rafe was a quarter moon with fire in it, and Nylats was three moons with fire between them, um, because on their world there were three moons. So that's kind of the premise. So I found that picture. Uh, the top one is Rafe. That was really what my original design was, and he did a really good job of that. I've, I've had this picture, like I said, 25 years at this point, I want to say. And then the um, other one, well, let me see if I can find, line it up here. That was Nylats that he drew for me. I was a little bit more detailed, um, but I've always really liked that drawing, and so I held on to it. Um, so that's pretty cool. So those are, uh, that's the Rafe and Nylats, or not uh, symbols, and I forgot to show that when we were telling their story. I, did, I wanted to do it while I was thinking about it. Um, the Rafe picture is um, very much the design of the tattoo I have, although the one I got done isn't quite as good as I was hoping. I'm going to have it redone eventually, a little bit more like that. Um, and then I have a couple other uh, dragon tattoo type things I'm hoping to get over the next couple years as well. All right, so we'll get into the story now. So again, a lot of the story I'm telling right now is from memory. A lot of my this area that we're telling right now, unfortunately all the documents, papers, and maps I had were destroyed. 
uh, in some flooding that we had in the basement in the house I was in when I lived with my parents uh, many moons ago. But I do still have a few things, and some of these are original, and Scott may recognize some of these. Um, some of the names I've changed around, but this was my original map of the original world before uh, Nylat blew it up. Um, and I have I have these laminated. That's why they survived. And the very first city they went to, where there was a, uh, they were in the little gladiatorial arenas, and they got their uh, score. That's kind of what that one looks like. It's a little triangular thing. And then I have actual maps of each of the different continents as well that we used. And I had them laminated so I could write on them and uh, change them. Blue is of course water. Red's roads. The overall shapes. So yeah, I had a found those while going through the story this week, and I thought I'd pop some of those out in case we need to show them again. That world's destroyed now, of course. I passed that part of the story, but um, still wanted to show them while I found them. Because again, those things are... I had those... That would have been, let's see, 1994 through 95, I want to say, because that's the two years I was in high school with Scott, and that's the years that we played. We started halfway through that year, and early into that year, and played all the way through 95 to the summer of 95, 96, and that's because we graduated in nine. I graduated in '95. That's when I moved to North to, from North Carolina to Tennessee. So yeah, yeah, Scott <laughs> might remember those from many years ago. Um, but okay, so at this point in the story, our eight heroic adventurers uh, go through Zoltan's portal and find themselves on a hilltop. Um, early morning, same time as they left. Um, quickly, they realize almost immediately that the, they're on just on, they're looking forward, of course, and off to the south, they can see where the sun is, the south of where they are, there is, appears to be an ocean, or at least a giant lake. It's a big body of water, okay? Um, and they can see a city just off the coast of it. Now, this is odd, because normally when a city is built on a coast, you have docks, and so on and so forth. It's usually built around the edge of the water, so on and so forth. But this city is maybe a football field away bad measurement, I know, a uh, thousand yards from the ocean, and the docks look very new. They're very rickety, they're very basic, and it's clear that this city was not near a body of water originally. Um, that's something that clearly happened in the great merging of the worlds. So, uh, what happened there is, so they see that. Now, um, off in the distance to the east, kind of, you know, they're looking south and north, to the east they can see... Um, the land goes up, not mountainous, but it's hilled up, and then there appears to be a vast forest in the far, far distance. Um, and this is the city of Arduel. Um, it's one of the first cities that we come across in this world, and it is a cool one. So, not knowing what else to do, they're like, okay, well, Zoltan sent us here. The first item's got to be close. Let's give it a whirl. Um, Artemis takes out her little necklace, bing, spins it, and the light shines right into the city. Like, okay. Now, I'm not saying that anybody in the city sees the light. It's not like a giant beacon. Imagine like a laser pointer. It's like a light that goes in that direction, and then after a certain distance, it fades off because it's daylight. At night, it probably could go further. But um, you understand my point. It's not like a line that you can see across the world. Um, they're like, okay, well, clearly we have to go into the city. Let's do that. Uh, so the characters make their way into the city. Um, and as they get towards the, the gates of a city, and it's a, it's a large city. Uh, Willow's very uncomfortable. She doesn't like crowds, so she does her best to kind of stay tucked in between everybody else. And they say there's a large amount of people going in and out, because uh, while it's a city, of course, there's 
buildings and such around it. You can see farmland up more to the north and northwest. Um, that land very likely was part of this kingdom before the merge. And so you see people coming in on wagons and horses and such. There appears to be a decent trade. Um, the area that has the new docks is very bustling. Um, it's like you can see a lot of construction going on. Clearly they want to make use of this. Um, there's a lot of uh, smaller boats in the water. You don't see any large boats. Clearly this is not a uh, a city that has a large navy didn't need one. wasn't near the ocean before. Um, but there, there are some smaller boats and some, I'd say, medium small boats, like uh, not like massive pirate ship kind of things. But uh, enough that you can see there, they've, there's a few. And the ships that you see look very different from each other. It's not like they all look like they were made from the same area. Um, after a, sh a short look, and you know, because they're investigating, and before they just march into the city, they're watching the type of people. You see, it's majority of humans, but there's a mixture of different races in there as well. Um, halflings, elves, or mostly half elves, not a lot of elves, um, but maybe one or two. Uh, gnomes are probably bumbling through there. Maybe the odd kender, which is scary. Um, but the boats, of course, clearly look like they came from different areas. So um, the merge again just happened within the last six to eight months. So they're like, okay, well, they didn't have time to build boats. These are probably boats that may have been on the lake or ocean or whatever it is uh, when this merge happened. And, of course, they can't find their way home. The stars are completely different, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Um, but the stars are different, so nobody can use navigation. Literally, imagine, if you would, on Earth, years ago, after hundreds of years of us using star charts and knowing how to maneuver the ocean, to one day waking up and all the stars being completely different. You're lost. You have to completely relearn how to navigate, um, which is an even bigger challenge because um, Zarin, our mage, made a discovery very early on that no one else had really picked up on, and that is the that fact that the stars are not moving. And that's important. Zarin's like, that. It, it doesn't make any sense. As a world spins, I mean, there's day and night, obviously, they're going around a sun, you can see the sun, you can see the moons. But for some reason, the stars are keeping the exact same position at all times. And he's been watching it for a couple... It took him a little while to really realize that. With everything else going on, he wasn't really staring at the stars. But once he finally realized that, he's been documenting that. And over the last several months, literally, they are identical to where they've been. There's zero movement. And he has no way of explaining that. The few times they've run into other mages, some of them have noticed as well, some of them have not. But no one has any more information than he does. No one can figure out how that could be. How is it that the... The world is spinning in an exact replica. It's almost like it's spinning around the sun, but that space is moving with the planet. So, odd and important later. Um, but again, they're having to relearn to re-navigate. So boats, when they can find land, would be very, very nervous about going back out into the water because they can't find their way home. Uh, where is home to begin with? So most people, when they're traveling, are going to try to stay within sight of the shore. Uh, just at least they know they can make land, food, water, so on and so forth. But Arduel is a, is a bustling town, and like any city, when you're very much... Uh, see, so sounds very Truman show us. It does, it does, actually, now that you mention that, yes. <laughs> um, but, you know, any city is going to try to make use of their land, and a lot of the land that was to the south of them doesn't exist anymore. Now it's all water. Um, you're on the edge of the water, that's fishing. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different options there. Not knowing what else is out in the world, the last thing you want is another country or force of ships to just march up on you. Um, this is a new way they have to learn to defend. So Arduel is starting the process of, you know, making access to the ocean through boats, building up small trade through small boats they built or were able to purchase from other people. Um, people who are lost may have come inland, not knowing where they're going, 
needing some different direction, they would you know, sell their ships to the, the Navy or Ar Arduel, a Navy being built. Um, and so Arduel is trying to build up a, a, some land uh, and a new way of kind of living. And fishing is a great trade, especially when you lo lose a lot of your farmland. And there's an ocean right there. Fishing is a great way to, to try to make up some of that. So um, as the character is going through the city, I mean, there's some guards there. You know, they get the regular questions. Hey, what are you doing? Where are you coming from? Of course, in this world, they're so used to just strange people and strange creatures walking in and out. Um, they, the characters don't stand out that much, with, of course, the exception of um, Darsh, who's just a massive minotaur. You haven't seen any of those, uh, really. In fact, he hasn't seen, I don't think, any but maybe one or two very rare instances of a minotaur while he's been traveling around so far. Um, so he gets a little bit of a stink eye because he's a, he's, a, he's a really big dude. He's scary. And he's, they're, they're armed to the teeth. Um, but again, like normal, he's walking with um, Artemis, a cleric of healing, who is basically your golden ticket into anywhere. Uh, nobody throws flack at clerics of healing. Again, clerics of healing, clerics of light um, are very highly revered on pretty much any world. Who doesn't want somebody who can heal and get rid of sicknesses and, and ward off evil and stuff? Um, and you don't want to make the temple or the religion mad. I mean, you, you start accosting a cleric, then the other clerics may not help you out. If there's a temple in the city, and most cities have at least one or two temples in them of some kind, you don't want to irritate them because these are the people that help you sit, bring, you know, help bring the rains for crops. I mean, there's gods of agriculture. There's all sorts of stuff. So uh, you don't want to definitely irritate the, the, the clergy. So Darsh again, like normal, do they pass it off and he's her personal guard? They're like, okay, well, that makes sense. He's a big dude. I can understand he's a bodyguard for a cleric. Um, so they, they managed to make the way into the city with just a very few questions. Um, so as normal, you're in a new city. I mean, they want to whip out their magic necklace and start spinning it around. They try to get a little information about where they are. And um, easiest way to do that, find an inn. Find an inn, find a tavern. Uh, that's where people are, people drink, and when people drink, people talk. Um, and it is a very, very common uh, theme in most Dungeons & Dragons adventures. How many adventures have started at the inn, right? Or the tavern. So they find a decent scale one. They're not trying to find a, a really fancy one. They find one that looks relatively hospitable, but uh, you know, at the same time, it's not going to hurt their pockets too much. They have a decent amount of coin from the amount of adventures, and the, they still have quite a bit of wealth um, from the... Um, original caravan guarding that they all met each other on. And so they make their way into the city and into this tavern. And they go in, they get some drinks, they gather a table, and the innkeep is is pretty nice. You know, he's friendly, of course. He's customers. It's a big group. That's a lot of money. And who wants to make a minotaur mad? And clerics are always welcome. And you got a cleric and a druid in here. Uh, clerics being a form of druid. They both have a, you know, their, their holy symbols around their neck kind of thing. So you can see the gods that they worship. Um... So, you know, they sit down, they get a bite to eat, they get a drink, they start kind of talking to the innkeeper and, and what's been going on. And they find that they, a lot of the stuff that I've talked to you is what they find out. Arduel was a farming community, worked with lumber and such, yada yada. But um, after the merge, it found itself on the edge of a big body of water. Um, very shocking. Not sure what's going on there. Um, during the night of the merge, the king died. Um, some people say it was the shock of the... Uh, of the entire merge happening, could have been part of the merge of the magic itself. Um, no one knows. Um, and there was his eldest son, who he had a son, a prince, uh, Prince Christopher. And Christopher basically wasn't there. After the merge, he was gone. As of course, as were a lot of people in part of their country. Uh, so that left them with no king and no prince. Uh, so currently the king's best friend, who was a uh, mage, uh, has been acting as head of the kingdom until they can 
hopefully find the prince. Uh, of course, they're searching far and wide. Um, the other big thing that they find out is off to the east, as I mentioned, it kind of went uphill and there was a large forest. Um, that forest was not there before. There was a forest. They did do some logging and such, but there were more farming um, and stuff of that nature. Uh, but this forest are great large trees, uh, great woods, and they're like, okay, cool, lumber for building. We need to build docks. How awesome. But once they uh, got close to the forest, they very quickly learned that the forest isn't inhabited by a kingdom of elves, and the elves are not very friendly to anybody else, as, again, a common theme in many fantasy stories. Uh, so they were very quickly warned and threatened away not to come near the trees. The trees uh, is the edge of the elven kingdom. And so there's been a little bit of a, uh, I guess you could say, not war, but a little bit of tussle between them because, I mean, that's a source of wood. Um, and humans need that, as it's our duel being a primarily human kingdom. So, you know, trying to find out exactly where that border is in that land, there's been a little bit of scuffles, no major, like, high death tolls or anything like that. A couple people going missing maybe on both sides. Um, but so far it's just been very stern in, in words. And uh, the uh, mage temporary king, I guess we'll call him, and his name is Roman. Uh, Roman is you know trying to work out trade with the elves, but the elves have no interest in it. They're just like, hey, come near our woods and we'll shoot you with arrows. That's just how it works. And so uh, not being very friendly and... Uh, not, no one's even been in to see how big is the kingdom, how many elves are in there, because anytime they get close, elves being phenomenal with bows, they really, really shoot at them and, you know, don't hit them, but enough warning shots to let them know you don't need to come any further. Uh, when you get further north and the woods get a little bit smaller, you can see where the tree types definitely differ. Uh, differ. It's like, oh, these woods now look like a different woods. It's, this is more like the woods we know. And the humans can definitely go up north and, and get woods from there, but it's much, much further than the elven woods. And the woods are smaller, um, not as good quality wood as you will, especially when you're trying to build large docks and maybe ships here in the near future. Um, it's a lot more costly for them to have to go up north, get the wood, and then transport it all the way back down. Especially when you weren't doing that before, and you don't really have the infrastructure to do it. So, building roads and so on and so forth. Wagons, mules, oxen to pull the wood. Do we have the tools to do it? Do people know how to do it? It's a lot of work for them. Now, I know I'm giving a lot of backstory on some of these, uh, that this is this city, and I'm going to do that on a lot of the different cities we come into, because these are places we will visit again. They are important landmarks. Uh, RDUL is the first city that we come into. So everybody's a little bummed that the prince is missing. Uh, the prince was very well liked, um, but unfortunately in the night of the merge, like I said, the king died um, and the prince went missing. So our characters are like, okay, well, we're looking for this magic item. Maybe we should go talk to this mage king. Zaren's a king, or Zaren's a mage. Maybe you can talk to him. Uh, they do find out that there is a temple in the city. Um, and they like, okay, well, we'll get some rooms for the night. Tomorrow, um, Artemis and um, Willow, your magic, your, your clerics, uh, they're going to go to the temple and see what they can find out there. Uh, there's also a, um, I guess you could say, a, a, a mage store. There's not a large, like, a mage tower. In a lot of, a lot of the cities and a lot of the places on the world, you're going to find mage towers quite common, um, especially as there's different types of mage organizations. Um, most worlds had some type of mage organization, or at least a couple of them, and now there's a world where all these guys exist, and they're like, okay, well, which organization's which? Which one's bigger? Do we, do, do we merge into different ones? So there's going to be a, a lot, especially more bumping heads when it comes to the uh, mages than it is the clerics. Clerics, it's like, okay, I'm a high priest, you're a high priest, I'll take this temple, you'll be, be a priest over there. It's a little bit more friendly, but still not always. 
So it's decided that the next morning, first thing they're going to do is that um, Artemis and Willow, the cleric and their druid, are going to go with Mercy and um, Shadow as kind of their, their little guard group off that direction. Because anytime the clerics are off on their own, they always want to make sure there's some type of warrior around to do that. Mercy and Artemis have become pretty good friends, so they're almost inseparable. They're together all the time. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, Shadow is very protective over Willow. And then our second group, which is Zarin, um, Darsh, Fig, the warrior, who's the gnome, and um, Dandy, because Dandy and Darsh usually end up in a group together. Uh, Darsh is not, never happy about that, but Dandy's usually overjoyed, and whichever group you put Dandy in, she usually just goes with the one Darsh is anyways, uh, because she really likes Darsh and irritates the piss out of him, um, much to his chagrin. So they get a rest. Next morning, that's where they go. Uh, they make their way to the... We'll, we'll do group number one first, and that's where uh, Artemis and Willow and their two, guard, their two friends kind of make their way to the temple. Um, they find that the temple itself is not a temple of healing, per se. Give me one second here. Uh, the temple is a, a temple to Minara, goddess of light, who, again, is the primary good god. And that's probably the most common temple you find, um, even though it's a, that's the temple. You'll find other clerics there as well, usually of the same alignment. So you'll find a lot of the good clerics, maybe some neutral um, some cities you may find a neutral temple. If it's a neutral temple, you may find some good, some evil, and neutral in there. And then evil will normally allow neutral in. Usually it's kind of that 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 group where it's like, okay, we understand we're all evil, but we may need some of the neutrals. Rarely are you going to find evil people in a good, evil clerics in a good temple or good clerics in an evil temple. Not that it's impossible, but it's not very common. It would have to be something very important or some type of gathering of clerics about something. And that clearly has happened after the merge. There have been situations where clerics have got together and are like, okay, we can't talk to the gods like we used to. Can you? What's going on? And, and trying to share that information without trying to give away too much of their own weaknesses caused by this. Everybody wants to look strong, but they need to find out what everybody else is. Uh, so they get there and they talk to uh, the cleric in that area. Uh, there's a head cleric who talks to them and welcomes them in and they sit down. It's not a huge temple, but there's probably about 15 or 20 different clerics in here, mostly of light, a couple more of healing. Um, but the clearest, highest, most powerful one um, is the brother who's in charge. And I forget, I apologize, I don't have his name. It's something I never put because it's not important right now because there's somebody else there later. But he sits down and he talks to Artemis and Willow and friends and uh, explains... Kind of goes over the stuff we've already talked about, the thing with the elves, uh, talk about the magic. They make them known of the stars. They're like, yes, we know the stars aren't moving as well. Um, although they've also, one thing they've noticed that, um, if Zarin noticed it, he didn't tell it to anybody else. Uh, but there is clearly a situation where, as you would expect, seasons to change, and they are. Seasons appear to be changing as they normally would in the world that they're on. So the city that Arduel is from, they are now approaching a fall. So what trees are in the area are you know, changing color, leaves are starting to fall. But while the trees and such are changing and all the lower temperatures and all of that are happening, the one thing that they have noticed is that days are not getting longer or shorter. Which as you sun gets closer and such around the sun and where it faces and such, you would expect winter when it's colder Normally, you have longer nights, shorter days. Um, and in the summer, the opposite, much as we do here. But that's not happening. They're getting all the effects of a fall, but the days are staying exactly the same length. And 
nighttime is almost exactly eight hours. It's almost to the minute uh, where they are. Uh, so it's it's a very very tight schedule with with no changing, um, and that's odd. You're like, okay, that's doesn't make sense either, especially with the stars and such. But at the same time, with the stars not changing, it's again almost like they're not like the space is moving with them as they're moving around the sun. So almost if you would imagine a a ball, right? That's your planet, and it's going around the sun. But that around that is a ball, and it's spinning as well. Uh, let's see. Neon Silver says, "Not good. Not going to lie. The weird time flow is a good hook." Thank you very much. I like that. Um, I said a lot of this was very mystery of hey finding out what happened and so on, and it takes a while to get to all of that. Um, but I throw clues out continuously, and I like to seed things. Some of the things I, I may throw a lot of time on aren't that important later. Little things I may just throw to the side that don't seem important become important later. So I like to kind of toss that stuff in, um, so that. My characters are always like, okay, is this important? Should I remember this? Should I? They, my characters will have pages of notes because I'll just say something offhand and they're like, that could be important later. <laughs> and it might be, you know. Um, I like to try to, again, I've been working on this world a very long time, so I, I have a lot of how it works worked out, especially with it being a very original world in its style. <clears throat> but thank you for pointing that out. Um, <clears throat> so that's something that they learn there. Um, the other thing they, they, they find out is that the temple itself normally would do final rites for the king. But the new, uh, I guess you'd say, we'll call him Mage King, the Mage Guy, the head temporary king, um, for the first time said, would not allow that, said that it was going to be handled by his apprentices and such, um, and that they were there was fear that someone may have tried to kill the king, and because they can't trust anything out there, and until they can find the prince, they don't want to take any chances. So the clerics themselves... Uh, well, normally under the old king had great access to the castle, uh, which is a small castle, but a castle in the center. Um, they're now very limited. They still are invited to come in at court and, and such, but um, they're very well guarded, if you will, um, as are anyone who enters now. There, there's a lot less freedom to move within the kingdom, and, and e even the small temple that they would do rites within the castle, that's done. Now all rites are done outside of the castle, um, the mage king does not want that in there because again he has great concern that there was a foulness afoot on the death of the king and he's worried about that you know getting anywhere else at least until they can find the prince and they can assure the line of Arduel. Arduel is the kingdom it's also Christopher's last name Christopher Arduel is the prince um, the city was named at was founded by his ancestor and, and his line has been there for generations upon generations <clears throat> okay so we go to group number two that are hanging out at the mage store. Uh, mage stores are cool. Um, mage stores normally will not just let anybody in. Most The average warrior is not just going to walk into a mage store. Um, mages are those with magic. Clerics and such are different. A mage store is very, welcomes clerics for spell components and all that kind of stuff. Um, so very often magic users of that nature are welcomed in. Um, same as witches, warlocks, there's other magic users out there besides just wizards. Um, they normally can do that. And on when you get to a mage store, which is very clearly marked, uh, there's a very symbol on it of like a, um, it's like a, a wand with a star shooting off the end. Just kind of an international symbol for mage occupation or mage sword, or mage store. Um, as they approach the thing, Zarin, who is, again, a little bit of a dick, decides to mess with his friends a little bit and just walks right in. Well, when they try to walk in, um, they just find themselves in place, not able to move. Imagine trying to walk through incredibly 
thick jello. Okay? Imagine if you're in there and just like your movements are super slow and stuff, and you're trying, literally, you're just trying to go a foot through a doorway, but it seems like it's taking forever. Whereas Zarin just walked right through. Um, again, being a mage, there's a rune next to the door that you can basically do a, a, a it's not a, a spell per se, but it is a, a glyph. Magic glyphs are important in my world. I'm going to get more into detail on those when they really come into play. Um, but glyphs are a type of magic as well. We're just doing specific magic symbols with the correct word. While not magic, will still radiate a magic essence. Uh, these are a great way of putting something... I'm going to put a magic essence on this sign. So when somebody comes by, I can sense magic there, even though it doesn't. it's not a spell per se. Um, so he does the glyph at the door, and he walks right through, because he's a magic user, he knows this stuff. His friends don't, they're just stuck in the jello trying to get through. Dandy's having a ball, she's trying to do somersaults in it. And Darsh and Fig are just furious. And then when they're finally almost the way through, they find themselves popping outside as if they were literally, were walking out, not in. Zarin inside is just kind of laughing and such, and he mentions, you see, they can see him through the door, and the door's kind of like a, like a wobbly, shimmery kind of thing, which you don't notice it until you hit it. Um, it's still very clear. Um, but he says something, and, and then he steps back out, and he's like, and he plays off like, oh, sorry, I completely forgot about that. Um, I've spoken to them. You can come on in now. And he's like, I told them you're with me, and it's okay. You're, you work for me, or my minions, if you will. They're not happy about that, but they're like, okay. So they walk in, very nervous this time, but they're able to go right through the door, because they were able to, Zarin's able to get them through, get the door rang, if you will. And they get inside, and it's a nice little shop. There's robes and books and scrolls and stuff everywhere. And, and uh, very, very quickly, Dandy kind of makes a noise, a squeak of pain or dismay. And they immediately look at her, and they see their hands are like this. And they're like, what's wrong? She's like, I can't, I can't separate my hands. And Zarin just smiles again and goes, yeah, normally Kendra aren't allowed in here, but there's no way they're going to let a Kendra walk around in here with their hands open. Too many things go missing. And Dandy's insulted. I would never steal from this place. He's like, yeah, I get it, but it's the only way they're going to let you in. So you can either stay and look around, or you can leave and have your hands freedom back. Very begrudgedly, she, fine, she stomps around, kicks, and starts looking around and such. And they're just kind of looking at the stuff while Zarin strikes up a conversation with the, with the mage behind the counter, if you will. And the mage, uh, there's, you know, same basic information, talking about um, the stars and such, magic, have you heard of anything, talking about each other, have you heard of this land? The mage was from Arduel, that, that's behind the counter, so he's been here for years. Um, gives them a little bit of the rundown, the same type of thing they hear from the clerics. Um, and then he also, you know, says, no, I've never heard of your area. Zarin and, and all of the eight companions know the homelands of each other. And they'll ask, okay, have you heard of this one? Have you heard of Darsh's homeland? Have you heard of Shadow's homeland? Have you heard of Willow's homeland? And just seeing if we can find anyone or anything from someone's home, because that may be a clue for them to get back to their family. And that's what they're all looking for at this point, to get back to their loved ones or whatever. Um, and they're like, okay. Although none of them were in a romantic situation. I want to point that out. No one's missing a husband or wife in this situation. None of these characters had kids. They probably had parents, their siblings out there, um, but none of them had children or romantic interests before the merge. Is that important? Hmm. But they don't. So they're like, okay, cool. And they're just kind of chatting with him. And the one thing they find out from them is that much like the clerics, mages themselves are very limited with access to the castle. Uh, the mage king, who himself is a member of the local mage guild, um, he grew up 
training with a lot of these other mages. He says, you know, he's not been rude or anything like that. He's just very cautious of anyone, uh, you know, potentially trying to take over the kingdom before they can find the prince. And so anyone who has power, like clerics or mages, they're just keeping them very limited and from coming into the castle because the last thing they want is someone to storm the castle, take the whole thing over and say, we're now in charge since there's no prince here. He's just definitely trying to keep a coup from happening while they can find the prince. Because the goal is hopefully the prince is somewhere around here or maybe he ran away or, you know, he'll come back or maybe he just got separated in the merge. I mean, no one really quite knows how vast the merge is at this point. Everybody kind of only knows their area, but they clearly know something big has happened. Um, and they're like, yeah, even even we're not in there as regularly. We're only allowed to go in a certain amount of time. We have very limited access to the castle. We can't all go as a group kind of thing. So um, he still sends his apprentices to shop here. You know, I'm going to take his money. Um, but it's just one of those things. So they all end up meeting up at the... Uh, afterwards, That both groups meet together at a, uh, back at the inn around midday. They share the information that the other one's got. And they're like, well, at this point... Um, you know, let's go ahead and try our little uh, necklace again. And they kind of go in a little alley where nobody's looking and spin their necklace. And it sh points right towards the castle in the center. They're like, okay, well, the artifact we're looking for got to be in there. Let's go get it. Um, and so they're like, let's go introduce ourselves to this Mage King, see if we can get an audience or whatever, and, you know, maybe figure out what's happening. And so they go up, they get to the castle, and very quickly they're stopped at the edge of the, you know, the grounds of the home. They're like, hey, sorry, this is off limits. Not anybody can just walk in here. Uh, they're like, yes, we want to introduce ourselves, or traveling through. Um, we're just kind of seeking out information. Um, and uh, we're just, you know, trying to see if we can talk to the new Mage King, see if there's anything we can do, because we're, they don't want us to come right out and say, hey, we're looking for a magical artifact we think is in there. Because they don't know if the person inside who has it or if it is in this person, it could be in a closet for all anybody knows, knows what they've got. Um, and so they're just like, hey, can we, is, can we talk to somebody? And they're like, well, he's not, see he's not seeing anyone. I'll take your names and uh, where you're staying, and if he wants to meet with you, someone will come get you. Uh, but we make no promises. He doesn't see many people. Uh, there's a big investigation still going on to find out you know, exactly what happened and why the king died. Because uh, no one ever, you know, they say heart attack, mm, but was it poison? Nobody knows. Um, and while they're still looking for the prince. So they're a little disheartened by this, but they're okay. And uh, as they're walking, as they're leaving, Shadow and Dandy, both being very observant, notice that there's a, a young woman working in the, you know, in the gardens, if you will. There's flower gardens and such uh, near there. It's a very nice, well-kept castle. Um, is paying an awful lot of attention to them. They don't want to draw any attention to her, so they're like, okay, cool. And they walk out. Um making it very clear during their conversation, well, okay, well, yes, we're staying at this inn and so on and so forth, and this is where we're going, and they're like, okay, if this is someone we can talk to, maybe we can come back later and let her know. If we talk loud enough, we'll come. Maybe she'll come see us. Or worse, if this is someone who means us harm, if we're open about it, maybe we'll act like we don't know that they're coming, and if it's a trap, we'll trap them. So, you know, lots of mind tricks going on there, trying to figure out what's going on. So they make their way, and they're like, okay, we'll go back to the inn, and we'll just hang out there for the next day or so until we see if the king wants to chat with us. We really don't have any other leads at this point. Um, if we don't hear anything from him in the next day or two, um, it's discussed that possibly Dandy and Shadow, being the sneaky sneakies of the group, may try to sneak in. Uh, Dandy would have no problem doing it, and after a short conversation, the two of them are very quickly like, yeah, we, we found three different ways to stand in there that'd be easy for us to get in, uh, just the two of us, because both of them are very agile, very sneaky, and good at that kind of stuff. Um, 
And again, I should stop here. If anyone has any specific questions about the characters, how they look, what weapons they use, their personal skills, feel free to throw those in chat. Uh, if you're watching this later, throw them down in the comments, um, and I'll be happy to try to answer as quickly as I can, um, or remember to answer them on the next stream. Uh, but I do occasionally get some questions, and, and if you have any questions about anything that I'm talking about or would like me to go into more detail or explain more, I will if I can. Definitely throw those out there, and I'd be happy to, to chat back with you. Um, but anyways, so uh, they're like, just we'll go back to the end and see what comes of it. And they're very careful. They have a couple of rooms. Uh, the guys are staying in one room, the girls are staying in another, which is just considered common decency in, in, in this type of area. Um, and again, to be honest, and it's like, oh, is everybody protected? Man, Mercy's probably one of the best warriors in the group, her and Darsh. And Lord knows, Dandy, while being irritating, can fight like a madman. So, And then your two females are your, are your, uh, your, your Dandy, and, or not Dandy, uh, Willow and uh, Artemis are spellcasters. I mean, just that alone that room's probably better off than the guys' room, to be honest with you. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of times it's like the guys and girls will get split up, but the, the guys are in more trouble than the girls. Uh, although Darsh is, Darsh is pretty B.A. Um, so, later that evening, um, there's a knock on the door of the uh, gentleman's room, um, and Shadow opens it. You know, And they're all in there at this point. It's not nighttime, they're not all sleeping. They're all just kind of hanging out there talking and chatting and, and waiting, if you will. And uh, the innkeeper is there, and he says, Hey, someone is here looking to speak with you. Um, I don't know this person, but they asked if they could speak with you. I said I'd check with you first. And they're like, Okay, yeah, send the person in. How many is it? Just one person? Okay, we'll send that person on up. Um, it's later in the evening, but not super late. The downstairs is still kind of crowded. Lots of people come into the inn to eat and drink. Uh, a lot of you know farmers and such who've come from their farms, from you know days travel, may stay here for the night, sell their goods, leave, that kind of thing. So it's a very bustling inn. Um, but of course, the person that shows up is the young woman from outside the castle, which isn't completely a shock to anybody, I think. Um, but she's kind of cloaked so that she doesn't give off who she is, and she comes in and she's like, and she's, she's talking to them, and she's like, um, I need to. I, I want to see if I, you can help me. I'm like, we can help you. We were actually hoping you might be able to help us. And he's like, what's going on? And she's like, I've been working in the castle most of my life. And my mother worked here. My grandmother worked here. We've always served the king and his family. Um, and something's wrong in the castle. Okay, okay. Explain what, what do you mean by something's wrong? He goes, well, there are people there now that we don't recognize. Like, no idea where they came from, but sometimes it's a guard, sometimes it's a cook, and they're very secretive, and they just don't seem, they're not friendly, um, they keep to themselves, and they seem to have free roam of the castle, whereas most of us who've lived here most of our lives are now regulated on where we can go and or have to stay in specific areas. None of us have gone missing, per se, and that's important. It's not anybody's disappeared, and uh, it's just that people are showing up in roles that we, we don't know if they're being hired from outside or what, but uh, they're just not friendly and not very talkative. Um, the other issue is is that um, there's rumors among the uh, people that worked in there, the uh, I should say the employees, the servants, if you will, although there is no slavery in this zone, because that exists in areas. It's fantasy world, you know, but in this area, nothing like that at all. Everybody who works there is employed. Many of them live off the uh, grounds of the castle themselves. They have their own homes and such. Uh, some of them will live in the castle themselves, depending on their doing. Like guards and such normally have barracks and such. Um, so she's like, you know, and and there's rumors that um, there's a, that there's you know things going on in the castle. I'm like, okay, what do you mean by things going on? Um, the characters are like, okay, well, can you be more specific? And she's like, no, I unfortunately I can't. Um, 
but I have a I have a friend who is one of the, the servants that does get to work inside who's family and such is she keeps the king's rooms and such um, and it appears that there's um, almost like celebrations going on uh, loud things happening in rooms that she's not allowed into not screaming but almost like um, singing and such that's been happening um, and then there's also the, the big thing is that no one is allowed in the dungeon only the current king, king's um, guard is allowed at all uh, oh, hold on a second here. Uh, gameplay say, damn, I'd listen, but it's 2.49. Was only checking in. <laughs> That's okay. I I appreciate that. Yeah, where, where you're at, I guess it's much later. Um, but I'm going to post this up right afterwards. Um, so I, I post the videos up on the channel right after I'm done doing any of the streams. So it'll definitely be there if you'd like to come back and listen to it. I appreciate you checking in with it. <laughs> um, but they, uh, where was it? Oh, yeah, so they're like, no one's allowed in the dungeon. Um only a few of the, these guard-type people are out there, and the only people that are allowed to go down there are one some of these new folks that no one knows. And, of course, uh, the king, the temporary king himself, but he doesn't. And they don't know if he's something's keeping him from going down there, but he doesn't really go down much at all. Uh, gameplay says, oh, thanks, we'll listen, by. Yeah, have yourself a great day. Um, so they're like, okay, well, that does sound fishy. Well, well, what do you want us to do? She goes, well, we don't know what's happening, and we can, none of, we've you know, we, we'd like to see, we're afraid that maybe the Mage King is a prisoner in his own castle because people don't see him much. He only pops out occasionally. Um, and when he is, he seems in good spirits and such, but no one can really, none of the old school people can get in to really talk to him. So we're not sure what's happening. And they're like, okay, well, we'll think about it. We appreciate it. You know, why did you come to us? That's what we want to know. And he goes, well, the people here won't do anything. You know, the, the mages and the clerics, while there's concern, no one really wants to shake up everything that's going on. There's already enough chaos with with there not being a legitimate heir on the throne right now. Anyone who tries to, to do something or go in or, call, you know, try to question stuff may be looked as if they're trying to take over. Um, and that is a concern from all the populace. And, you know, anytime you have a kingdom where whoever's supposed to be in charge is not there, and you've got someone else filling in. Are they legitimate? Is someone else ever going to come back? That makes everybody on edge. People are comfortable knowing who's in charge, uh, especially when you've you've had a long line of kings in the same line for generations. All of a sudden, that stops. What does that mean for the kingdom? What's what's going to happen? So it's very very touchy situation. So the young lass leaves, and they're like, "Okay, thanks for your information. You came to us because people here won't do anything, but you think somebody needs help. I understand." So she bumbles off, and they're like, they start talking about it, and they're like, okay, our, our talk that we'd had earlier that maybe, maybe someone should go in and look around. Maybe we should do that. I think we should we should go back to that original plan. And so it's decided that Dandy and Shadow are going to try to sneak in later that evening. Um, over the last day or so, Dandy's done a couple little recons, sneaking out of the the inn where no one would see her because she's Dandy. Um, and she's sneaking out windows, and she's done a, a good little casing of the place, and some of the things that her and Shadow had saw originally, uh, she was able to confirm of, of some, for them, easy enough to get into. Regular people, not so much. Um, so they're like, okay, cool, we're going to do that. So later that evening, the two of them uh, sneak out of the inn, they go out a window up on the roof, across the rooftops, because they're sneaky like that. Again, they don't want, in case the, the place is being watched, they don't want to be snagged. Um, so they make their way towards the kingdom and, um, or towards the castle. 
and it takes a bit of time because they're having to go through alleys and cross rooftops and stuff. So it takes a good hour, hour or so to get would normally just be a 10 to 15 minute walk. Uh, but they get there with the full confidence that they were not seen and no one knows that they're there. Um, so it's a little touch and go. Uh, they watch the guards for a little bit, follow the patterns and such. They see the window that they're going to try to get into. It's a little high. Shadow is very strong enough to be able to toss up a grappling hook. Um, and then Dandy is light enough that she should be able to get up there and then help Shadow load up. Um, and that's what happens. They manage to hug the walls, they climb up, they get in a window. Now this ends up being just a, uh, a hallway that they get into at this point. Um, so they're very carefully looking, you know, they don't see anybody at this point. Uh, it's a window that's just been left open because it's high enough that a regular Joe couldn't just climb in. Um, for breeze and such, there's no air conditioning. It's fall, but it's still warm out. Uh, there's no ACs here, so people leave their windows open. Um, and they start making their way sneaky, and they have to decide, well, where do we want to go first? Do we want to go up and try to get to the Mage King? Do we want to try to scope out some of these people? Because she gives them a list of some of the strange people. There's a couple cooks. They look like this. There's a couple guards. They look like this. They normally hang out here. Do we want to try to case them out? Or do we want to go down and see what's going on in the dungeon? You know, maybe that's not really the Mage King up there. Maybe that's somebody pretending to be him. Maybe the Mage King's in the dungeon. You know, maybe that's going on. So they're like, okay... They talk about they, they didn't know exactly what what route they wanted to go until they got inside and they could see what the place was like. You know, because a lot of people think, well, wouldn't they have that decided ahead of time? No, because when you they don't know what the inside layout is other than what this little girl could kind of sketch them out a little bit, and they don't know where the guards are stationed inside because she hasn't had really access to the inside in a long time. So once they get inside, they realize getting up to the Mage King's area is just not going to be doable. There's just too many guards and such walking in that direction. Uh, their best bet is to try to trace some of the people or get to the dungeon. They figure it's already midway through the night. A lot of the people they'd like to watch are probably in bed. They're not bustling up around through the middle of the night. They decide they're going to go ahead and they're going to go on down and they're going to check the dungeon first. So it takes some time to maneuver, to be extra sneaky. Dandy almost gets snagged once, but luckily they're able to... Uh, be extra sneaky and get down into the to the dungeon area. When they get close to the dungeon area, they can see that there's only one way down into the dungeon, and there are literally two guards standing at the top. There's no way past these two guards. So they have to make a decision. Do we turn around and go back? Do we try to take out these guards, who could be just good people, and possibly get caught, and then we're criminals in a kingdom, and that's a whole can of worms? Or do we try to hang out here and hope they eventually go away? Although it doesn't look like it. They look pretty stationed there. So after a, a quick chat, and when I say chat, very little words. Dandy and Shadow are both very adept at using hand signals to get their points across. Uh, most people that are sneaky and stealthy, uh, rogues especially, um, rogues have a thieves can't, which is a language they can speak. But they also have a hand sign language that's kind of universal. Um, at least it was before the merge, and they're... There's some changes to that as groups are running into each other. Because just like clerics and just like wizards, thieves' guilds are also a thing. And merchant guilds, these are other things. Where now there's two thieves' guilds. Who's in charge? There's battles for that. Um, so a lot of unrest in the world, if you will. They decide they're not going to come all this way for nothing. While Shadow's not really big on taking out people he doesn't know, they think that they should be able to take these guys out without too much of a problem. They're not going to kill them. They're just going to try to knock them out, get past them, see what they got to see, and then leave. So they're like, okay, cool. They make a little plan. Classic stuff. Dandy makes a noise. One of the guards comes to see what it is. Shadow chugs him out. You know, kind of thing. Uh, Shadow 
you know, puts on the helmet and such. It's dark, it's torchlit in the hallway. He doesn't have to put on the whole outfit, just the helmet enough to be the overall silhouette. And as he gets close, the guard notices that's not who he thinks it is. Dandy pops out from behind Shadow, pops him in the head, um, knocks him out pretty quickly. Because again, these guys are, are good at this stuff. Especially. Sorry, staying hydrated. So... They're like, okay, these guys are unconscious. We can't just leave them slain in the hallway. Someone might come down and check. They drag them. They open up the door to the dungeon and drag them down. Uh, Shadow does. Our Dandy's not that strong to lift these guys. Uh, she's a tiny little thing. But she goes ahead to make sure, A, there's no traps down there set for anybody, and there's no more guards at the bottom. And when she gets down there, she sees that there isn't anybody else downstairs. So she tells Shadow, and he drags them down to the bottom of the stairs, and they kind of stash him to the side. And they're like, okay, we got to be quick, because someone eventually is going to notice that there's two people missing from their posts, and that's going to cause an uproar. So they start searching through the dungeons, which aren't large, um, but at one end they find a door. <clears throat> there's several doors. Most of them are open or unlocked, but there's one door that's locked, and you can see there's a big chain on it. It's a small slot in the bottom where you could open it up to slide food through. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they're like, clearly this is the only thing that appears to have anybody in it. All the other cells and such are empty, um, and even the other room cells. And there's actual just cage cells throughout the place. Uh, it doesn't look like anybody else has been in here in a while. There's clearly footsteps where people have walked through here. Somebody's feeding who's ever in that one room. Um, but it's not like guards and such, or, or other prisoners. So they're like, okay, we got to see who's inside. So they sneak up. And Dandy very quietly lifts up the thing and looks inside, and they can see a sleeping form in the room laying on a rough cot. Uh, one looks like thin, ratty blanket over the person. It's, it's one person, but they can't really tell who it is. They don't want to make a lot of noise. Dandy's like, I'm going to pick the lock. Dandy's good at that, too. Dandy gets in there with her little lock picks and such. She manages to pick the lock on the chain. Shadow very quietly opens it, and the door, they, they push the door open. Now, the door is a creaky door. There's nothing they can do about that. The sound of the door creaking, the shape turns around very quickly. I have to say it's dark in here. There are no torches. They can't, they're just seeing silhouettes. Um, now, for most people, that would be a problem. For Dandy and Shadow, who both have infravision, uh, Shadow's being even better than Dandy's, it's not pitch black, but they can see basic silhouettes. The darker it is, the better they can see uh, with, with their infravision. Elves and Kender both have that. Um, gnomes do as well, so Fig has... Uh, a bit of that. So does um, Willow, of course, because she's an elf. Um, but Mercy, Darsh, um, Artemis has it because she is, and Zarin the Halfling does not. So those ones do not have any type of information. They're able to see it pop up, and it's the shape of a man. And the person says, who are you? And they're like, hey, shush, 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 shush. We're going to ask you some questions. We're here to maybe save you or lock you back up, depending on who you are. And if you're a criminal and you're in jail for a reason... We're probably going to leave you here. And, and Shadow looks at Dandy like, shut up, let me do the talking. He doesn't say that. He's a man of few words. But he says, who are you that you would be imprisoned here? And it's a young man, probably in his early 20s, <clears throat> late teens, early 20s, and he identifies himself as Prince Christopher. And he says that, on, he tells them quickly that on the night of the merge, he was basically in his room, kicked open, Somebody came in, he was beaten, tied up, and he's been locked in this room, and no one has spoken to him since. It's been almost eight months. And he's been chilling in this room, he's got raggedy beard, and his hair's all fucking and stuff, and his clothes are just... He was wearing the same night clothes he had when they took him. They didn't give him any more new clothes. They bring him food, but no one will talk to him. He doesn't know what's going on. He's deep down here under the part. No one can hear him outside. Uh, so he has no idea what's happening out there. 
why does anyone know why his father would do this to him? Eh, they have to break the bad news. His father passed away, and his friend, the mage, was on there. Is now the king. And uh, Christopher, very angry and upset, says, that son bitch was the only person I saw when I was being dragged down. He must have killed my father, because my father was in fine health. His father was an older dude. He was like in his 50s. Christopher was born um, late in his life. His mother passed away soon after, unfortunately. Sad story. Uh, but it's just been the father and the son. He never remarried, so there's no other siblings. Uh, Christopher's the only heir. Um, and he said that he was in fine health. The fact that that happened on the same night that I was locked in here in the middle of all this merge stuff. Because uh, he explains the merge. He doesn't know anything about the merge. He doesn't know there's an ocean out there. You know, they give him as much rundown as possible. He's just blown in the mind here. He's like, are you, are you serious? Are you yanking my chain? And they're like, no, this is this is real stuff. And he's like, I need to get out of here. And they're like, mm. and Shadow's like, that might not be the best idea. It's like, what are you talking about? I've been locked in here for eight months. Of course it's a good idea. They're like, listen, someone's going to notice if you're gone. We might be able to get you out of here, but we might not. This is, you know, how we snuck through windows, and they say how they got in there. We, it's not that we want to leave you a prisoner. I just don't know if we can get you out. We may have to lock you back up and come back for you later. And the prince is like, I, I got that. I got that. There is a secret passageway outside of the castle. There's actually a couple of them that'll get you in and out of the castle that my father and I knew of, as do a couple, like, head guards and such. Um, only important people, but it's knowledge that's passed on to us in case of a the castle's being attacked, there's a way for the royal family to escape. Um, he goes, it's not far. If you can get me to this part of the castle, I can get us out of here. Shadow and Dandy are like, well, no, normally we'd chat this over with the group. This is We're entering us into a, a lot of uh, kerfuffle here, but we can try. Um, let's go ahead. Why not? we got to make the call. We, we don't have time to go back and make a phone call and, and talk to everybody else and see what's going on. We have to do this now. Uh, so he said, yes, let's go. So they, they closed the door. And they lock it back up again with the hope, since nobody ever talks to him, that it may be a little bit of time for somebody notices he's not in there. They're like, do you talk? He goes, no, I haven't talked to anybody in so long. I, I rarely even speak when they bring me the food now. And it's not very good food. I'm a prince. I deserve better food than that. He's like, so I'm going to, you know, I'm definitely going to you know, go with you and such. But if we lock the door, they may not. Because that was the prince's idea. He goes, if we lock the door, they may not realize that I'm gone right away. And I'm like, that's good. Buy some time. Fair enough. They lock it back up, chain it up as they saw it. And they get back up out of the dungeon. Now, as they're coming out of the dungeon, like, the big concern is, of course, these two guards. Now, these two guards, they're going to notice that. They may come down and check Christopher. That's a hole in our plan. So we're not sure what, we're, what we should do here. And they're like, well, this isn't the best thing, but it's the only thing I can think of. They drag the two guards into another one of those rooms that wasn't locked, and they tie them up a lot and gag them stuff them in there, and they're like, we'll have to come back eventually, but they're not going to die in one day. We'll leave them in there, buy us a little bit of time, and if we have to, we can tell someone to look down there later. We don't, we're not trying to kill them, but we can't have them given away anything right away. So they tie them up, lock them in a room, and then they go sneaking through the castle. And it's a couple close calls. It's Dungeons and Dragons, so there's some rolls and such to see whether or not they're able to sneak the prince through. Uh, he's still a little weak because he, he had only a small space. And, you know, he's trying to stay in shape, doing push-ups, prison stuff. But he wasn't, you know, he's, he hasn't been running around in a while. And he's pretty weak because they haven't been feeding him uh, very well. But they were definitely keeping him alive. Hmm. So they managed to, you know, get to this one room, which is a, you go into and it's just all type of, like, towels and doilies. It's all like stuff that you'd use for banquets and things and candelabras. It's a storage room for stuff. And in the back behind a barrel, 
they pull it out, they, there's a brick you press on, and there's a passage you can, you literally have to almost get on your stomach to pull yourself through. Fat people would not be able to fit well. I would have problems. Uh, like, Darsh would have a hard time getting through that. Um, but the Prince, Dandy, and Shadow all being of thin frame, they slide right through. They close it behind him. They, it's, a, it's a tunnel. It's very cobwebby. No one's clearly been in here in a long, long time. Prince doesn't use it for fun normally. It's just here as an emergency. They manage to get their way out, and they come up basically into almost like a little bit of a sewer system, because there is a sewer system underneath Arduel. Most major cities have some type of sewer. They get very stinky, but they manage to climb out. It's in an alley, and they're like, okay, we got to get back to the inn. Takes them most of the rest of the evening to sneak through, because they're trying to get Christopher through as well. They finally make it back to the inn. They get back inside, and as far as they can tell, they did that without anybody catching them. So once they get inside, of course, they catch up everybody else. Uh, Darsh goes to the other room, gets the girls. They come in, and all, all eight of them are talking to Christopher. And um, I'm Christopher very quickly is like, hey, I'm filthy and shaggy. I would like to clean myself. Do you have a wash basin? Of course they do. And he rinses himself off, and they find some basic clothing he can put on, because clearly he can't be walking around in his princely PJs, uh, which are worn in already fraying anyways. So they give him some basic clothes. He's not too far off from the size of Shadow. He's just a little bit smaller. He's got to cinch up the belt a little bit, but he can wear some of Shadow's stuff. Uh, he was a bit more muscular and stuff before he kind of whittled away a little bit. Um, now, I'm not going to go into a bunch of detail about this one thing, but I am going to mention it. Um, very, very quickly, he has an eye for Willow. You, you, that's something that Willow notices as well. Willow's a little hmm, shy. I'm not good around people, but she finds him attractive kind of thing, but he's like, oh, wow, pretty girl, you know. Um, elven, elven beauty, you know, elves are attractive. They normally are. Even even uh, Shadow is a very good-looking dude. He's an elven dude. It's just normal most of the time. There's not a lot of fugly elves out there. Um, so he's got a bit of an eye for her, and he wants to clean up, and he, he shaves a little bit, and they give him a knife thing, and he shaves up like like you do back then. Nobody has a razor or a bick or anything. Um, so he cleans himself up a little bit, and he's like, I should go to the people and have them rally around me, and we'll go in and whoop somebody's booty and, and take my castle back. And they're like, well, you could do that, but the problem is, how do they know that... How, they, you could say you're you, but are people really going to believe you? Plus, they've got all the guards, you have the people. It's it's not going to be easy. That's one option. We could do that. The other option is, we could go to the temple or the mages, get them on our side. Maybe they can help us take the castle. Then there's the concern, well, with the mages, what if some of them are working for the mage king? Yeah, mages, you know? Zern's like, hey... Come on now, just because we're all mages. And they're like, no, nah, we can't take chances there. Because while most of them may be okay, there could be one in there that's a spy. His apprentices still come in and out, they said. We may not want that to happen. So like, so the other option is we can go to the clerics, or we could try to go in just ourselves. So we can get the clerics, gather the populace, and try to storm the castle that is being run by a wizard. Or we could try to sneaky sneaky, all of us get in there, and try to take out the wizard himself. If he's the one in charge, because they don't even know. That's a thought, but who knows? Who's really sitting on the throne? So, after some conversation, they decide to get some sleep. Christopher needs some sleep, and he's definitely enjoying having some real food that they happen to have there. They decide that the next evening, they're going to try to sneak in. Christopher said he knew of a couple different passageways. It's going to be tight, but there's one he thinks that Darsh might be able to get into. That's really their only big problem. Everybody else should have to be fine. They're all human size or smaller. Darsh you're going to find out in many of these stories, being a big dude is a problem. You know, in battle, it's phenomenal. Darsh is great. He's a big, scary dude, and he can kick a lot of booty. But 
unfortunately, when you're trying to be sneaky, you know, eight and a half feet tall minotaur with giant horns coming off his head, you know, clumpity feet, not, not the best stealthy sidekick to have. Uh, they think there's one, he's going to be kind of cramped, but they should be at least able to get him in. Once they're in, though, um, it's going to be hard to keep him hidden. So once they're in, they're going to have to move fast. And they set up a plan. Christopher, of course, knowing the castle better than anybody, really, because he's grown up there his whole life. Uh, and he even knows places that only his father told him about. Um, they, they draw it up, get a lay of the land. He sketches things out in the dirt or the dust or whatever. You know, they got paper, he draws it. Zarin's a wizard. He's got paper kicking around, so he gets a pen and quill, and he draws that. He's a prince. He can write. So he's doing that. He's doodling some things, and uh, he says, here's where we should go. Here's where you'd be staying. This was the mage, his room, when he was just living there as my father's friend and the court mage. But this is my father's room. I don't know which one he'll be staying in at this point. But fortunately, they're not too far away from each other. It's like, okay, so we have to figure out, when we get in there, we'll have to figure out which one we're going to hit first based on what the situation is. If there's an uproar and we get caught and we're just charging through there, we may have to go to the first one we can get to. Um, if we can get in sneaky, maybe we have some more choices. So they spend the rest of the day mostly just hanging around the inn. Christopher stays up in the room. Uh, they go out, do some basic shopping stuff, get a few supplies, some things for Christopher. Um, they have some spare weapons. They can give him a sword. They get him a knife. They get him some better shoes. You know, they just looks like they're shopping for themselves. You know, hanging out, getting a meal, taking the meals back to the room with them, which they're sharing with Christopher. But, you know, they're just trying to play like another normal day. Like, they're still hoping that the they'll get a call from the king. And they even ask, hey, has is, is the, is the mage king sent anything to us? Has he said, hey, we want you now? Yes, come help us. Um, and there's like, no, the innkeeper's like, no, no one, other than that one little person that came for you yesterday or so yesterday, no one else has come looking for you. Um, they're like, ah, now Shadow, very easily, notice, and Dandy as well, they're both really good at this, they notice that they're being watched, of course, and they've known that for a while, there's guards just hanging around and you know, people just looking like beggars, you know, that kind of stuff, but they're obviously to someone who's trained to look for that, Shadow and Dandy, they pick up on that very quickly, and they've known that for a while. Once they made their intention to meet the Mage King, even before they found Christopher, they showed up on the radar. Here's a group of people with a Minotaur and a Cleric and a Mage. That's, that's a relatively powerful group there. you got Elves in your party, you got Halflings, you got Gnomes. This is a very diverse group of people. Worst of all, you got a Kender. Nobody wants that in their city. Um, this is, a, you know, this is somebody you're going to keep an eye on, especially when they're trying to get into the castle. With all this hinkety stuff going on. But that night, they're like, okay, we're going to have to get out of here. We're getting watched. We need to We need to make sure we can get out of here. Darsh is not going to be able to sneak through a window and down a rope anywhere in the middle of the city. It's just not going to happen. Um, so we've got to go. We've got to get out of here easier. Um they, uh, there's, there's, you know, the cook, young guy, they slide him a little coin, and they're like, hey, we want to go out the back door tonight, but this time, can you let us out and keep it on the down low? And he's like, for that kind of coin, man, I'll, I'll carry you there if you need me to. And he's like, no, 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 we're, we're good, just get us to the door. And so they come down, they sneak down at night when the patrons aren't listening, there's a back stairs, they get in there, and Dandy and Shadow and Zarin, he's a halfling, but he's still pretty agile. He's a mage, too. He's got spells. They sneak out the window like they did, the, the like Dandy and Shadow did uh, the night before, and they basically go to, and they do a recon to see who's watching. They find a couple people that are clearly watching the keep, and they remove them. So, those people are dealt with. Um, 
There may have been, and again, in D&D, when we're playing the game, there's some dice rolls. Try to knock one unconscious. It didn't work, so we attack. You have to kill him. The other guy, you managed to knock him unconscious or tie him up or whatever. They managed to do enough that they can sneak out. Darsh is still a problem, uh, but they, they do their best to make it through the city. It's later in the evening, but even in a city... You know, it's going to have people move around, so it's it's tough. But they manage to avoid the guards, and they actually head to the opposite direction of the castle, to a place that is like a little bit of a garden area. Uh, that is almost just along the uh, edge of the wall, and it's a, a monument to like the founder of the the Arduel line back in the day. Um, and Christopher knows that in one of the statues, the bottom of it, there's an open secret passageway. They squeeze through there, and it's a passageway underneath the city to get you back in. And it's a tight fit, uh, especially with Darsh's horns. That was the biggest problem we found uh, in that adventure, is that he had a hard time squeezing his horns through. I believe Dandy at some point offered the butter dish again. If you were here in episode two, you'll remember the butter dish. Darsh was very unhappy about the thought of the butter dish, but they, uh, they tried it and it worked. They managed to squeeze in there and they make their way into the castle. So once they make their way into the castle, they get inside. They're like, okay, we have to move quickly. Darsh is going to stand out. Even at night, there's guards, there's such. We're going to have to go through as quietly as we can. We're probably going to have to take some people out. Uh, let's try not to kill people because we don't know you know, who's good, who's bad. Some of these people could just be doing their job. Uh, but if anything, Christopher's going to try to address everybody and see if they attack him. Or if they're like, my prince, you're here. you know, Because that may be a good way of telling them apart. That was the, the plan that the characters came out with. They're like, oh... Okay, Christopher, you'll identify yourself when we come with the guards. If they immediately attack, then they obviously were in on it. we got to take them out. We're not as sad about killing them. If you jump out and like, my prince, you're home, then okay, cool, follow us, join our party, help us whip whoever we need to whoop. And so they are um, making their way through the castle. They're doing this several times. When, when they can't sneak around, they get to groups of guards. This happens. Um, and in several situations, it's option number two. They're like, our prince, you're home. This is awesome. He's like, yes, I remember you, guard named Frank, and guard named George, and whatever. You know, I, I recognize you. Yes, I've been. He says, I've been a, pri- I've been held a prisoner in the prison. Who's in charge? And they're like, well, your father. When your father passed and you disappeared, I forgot his name already. I forgot. I forgot the Mage King's name. Shoot, well, him. I was going to keep on with Mage King. So I forget his name. If anybody remembers, remind me. <laughs> I had it written down. I forgot. But Mage King is like, like he's been doing that, and he's been kind of leaning. I haven't seen him, anybody else boss him around, so they're like, okay, he's got to be the guy in charge. So some of these people are like, yes, we'll we'll help, of course. You're a prisoner. You're the heir to the throne. We'll help you get it back. There was a couple times where that was not the case, and especially as they reached the bottom of the stairs that would lead up to the royal chambers. There were several guards there, and as soon as they see the prince and the other guards coming, they immediately draw their weapons and come at the prince. Um, a fight begins, and this one is loud. It's, there's probably well, six guards there, plus our eight friends, and they have probably another six to eight guards with them at this point. Um, there's a sneaky one where one of those guards that joined with them actually turns on them in the middle of the battle, and they have to fight him too, and he manages to uh, really, really um, wound Mercy, if I remember correctly. It was, it was Mercy got kind of stabbed in the back because she was a warrior. She's kind of at the back, and then she was trying to save uh, the prince, and Mercy got stabbed, and then she falls down, and this guard is, then goes after the prince, who has his sword, but is unaware of what's going on, um, and it ends up being Willow that steps in, and she uses an entangling spell where little vines and stuff come out of the ground and uh, wrap the dude up, and, you know, she just, like, hurts him, and but basically gets him down, and, and 
Christopher sees this and, and he said, what, what, what happened? And he goes, he's trying to get you. And so you know, Christopher just runs dude through. He's like, I don't have time to play with traitors. So he runs dude through. They manage to beat the other guards. But now the castle is in an uproar. People are, there's noise, there's bells being sounded. Obviously the sound of commotion. So everybody starts rushing up the stairs and they get to where the mage rooms first was. Uh, Darsh, not feeling like playing around, kicks the door and it just comes off the hinges. Darsh is very strong. The room is mostly empty. There's a few leftover things. Clearly, he's not staying here. Now we have to head off to the actual king's chambers because he must have moved there. So they race into the king's chambers and they kick in the doors and, and just in time to see the mage king with a very snarly look on his face shoot through a door on the other side. And they're like, well, where's that door goes? And he goes, That's, that goes up to the upper tower where the basically the, the king's private room. So the king has a bedroom and he has his chambers, but there's his own personal, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Prayer room. Thank you very much prayer room. That's what it is. So it's a place where he can go. It's at the very top of the castle. It's where they commune with their ancestors and such and the spirits of them help guide. Whenever the king has to make a very hard decision, he will go there. Um, and then every like special holidays, he'll go up there for like 48 hours and not eat or drink and anything, starve himself fast. Um, it's the thing he does to you know bring you know blessings down upon his kingdom. It's, it's, it's a whole holy thing. Uh, so he's like, he's heading up there. So I, we have to go up there. And they charge these guards like, okay, you guys stay here the guards that were loyal, and help them whoop the other guards. Stay here and don't let anybody through here. We're going to go up here and see what we can do with this guy, but we don't need a whole army of evil guards running up our backside at the time. So you guys stay here. It's a big double door to get into the king's chamber, but it's still a doorway. There's about eight of you guys, six or eight of you guys left. Hold the door. You guys together should have no problem doing that because two of you can fight. You can take turns resting. It's it's a very classic D&D thing where a couple people hold the door while other people rest and then you swap out. Because um, an army can't attack you when there's a funnel point. You know That's something the PCs are smart at. They're very good at coming up with plans like this. So they go chasing up the stairs after the Mage King and they get up to the top. And you know, again, door, Darsh throws his shoulder against it. Takes a couple hits, but the wooden beam the dude had you know, put down on it just cracks because Darsh doesn't play around. And busts open the uh, busts open the room, and there's the mage, and the mage immediately is casting a spell. They were thinking this could happen. Zarin, I'm a mage too, I understand. As soon as we open that door, he's probably going to have a spell. There could be traps there as well. Dandy did check for traps and didn't find any regular traps, but she doesn't know if there's any magic traps. Zarin casts a spell on the door, does not see a magic trap. That's when Darsh busts it open, but then the mage king shoots a fireball. It's a very powerful fireball. Now, Darsh, again, is a dude with a shield. And he's a big guy, which means his shield is very big. Many people, it would look like a door. And he basically braces against it, and the flames come licking around, but it blocks most of the doorway. So it gets super hot, and he has to toss it down because it's burning his skin a little bit on the back of his arm because it is metal and leather and such. Um, but it manages to keep most of the flame from coming through. Um, now, at the same time, they went up these stairs. It's like in a circular tunnel, so it's hollow in the middle. And Dandy gets tossed off the thing from the blast with everybody trying to shove back. And uh, she falls, but manages to catch herself, gets a little bit of injury. She comes coming back up. Um, but they, they basically go through the door, and a battle ensues. Um, the mage is casting spells. He has a couple of apprentices there, or sidekicks, whatever they are. And they're casting spells. And while that's going on... Um, you know, it's your classic Dungeons and Dragons combat. You know, the warriors are trying to get in there. They're fighting through the spells that are cast at them. Um, the apprentices are also not just mages, but they're also like warriors, mages. So some of them have weapons, and the warriors are fighting them. Zarin is trying to stop the spells of the mage king, who is more powerful than him. 
But luckily he has Artemis and Willow also with their magic spells, so the three of them together are able to nullify or dampen most of the spells he tries to do, or counterspell with their own spells to kind of stop them. Um, but by the end of the battle, it gets to the end. They manage to weaken the Mage King enough that he, he can't win. His apprentices are all dead. He, and, and Christopher walks up, you know, and, he, and he's basically on his knees at this point, and Darsh has got him by the, his hands behind his back, and he's basically got his hands around his hands, because Darsh is of the mind. If you start wiggling fingers, I'm just going to shatter your hand bones. Because that's really the only way to stop a wizard, is break their hands. You can't do intricate spell things if your hands are messed up. Now, granted, there's some spells that you can just speak and they work, but most of the big ones require your hands. So he's literally just sitting there with his hands behind the Mage King behind his back, and Darsh's hands are on there. Second he feels a finger move, he's just going to crush him. And Darsh is strong enough, he could just shatter your hands. This is something that Darsh uses with wizards in the future, and sometimes he has to break hands. He does that. He, he's, he's smart. Because so, none of these guys are stupid, by any means. And Darsh is a very strategic person. While he's not in his normal life dealt with mages that much, he's learned a lot from Zarin. Because, um, again, Zarin wants this guy to know stuff, because this is the big guy that protects Zarin. Zarin wants you to know how to fight people that could be hurting me. So a very symbiotic relationship there. Um, and so, at this point, they manage to hold him. He, said, you know, he starts questioning him, why? Why did you do this? Are you under someone else's you know, command, and he's and, and it's the classic trope. He's like, no, I've always, I was jealous of the kingdom. I, I grew up with your father, knowing that I could never be, you know, better than just a sidekick. I would. I, there's no chance of me ever becoming a king as long as you were alive. Well, the merge was going on. Magic energy is what they were. Um, he'd already been working on a plot to try to kill them and to take over, um, but it just kind of rushed their hand, and like, this is the perfect time to do it. Um, and so he used the spell to kill the king, and they captured the prince, because they were going to use him as a bargaining chip. If somebody ever found anything, they could hold him hostage, because um, as long as he's alive, the city, you know, the people weren't going to charge in there if he had a knife to the prince's throat. That's their prince, you know. So he was kept alive for leverage. And, uh, you know, he gives the thing, he goes, blah, 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 and, and he's like, and, and he goes, and, and you, you, there's no way you'll stay a king, I'll be back, and so on and so forth, and there's no way you'll, you can imprison me, and Christopher goes, I have no plans to, and just runs his sword right through his heart. Like, just, it's like, you just, and Darsh, a little caught off guard, like, like, oh, okay, well, you killed him, all right, I'll let him down now, thank you. <laughs> the guy's like, and he dies. And, he, and, and, you know, it's one of those things, and he, and he says, it's, you know, he goes, it, it it hurts my heart to know, like, this is the my first action of king, is to kill my father's best friend, but I cannot allow him to endanger my kingdom any longer. Um, imprisoning him, I don't know how far his reach is. Somebody may try to break him out. This could all happen again. I'm not one to take chances. Executive decision. He had to die. And they're like, dude, you're the king, man. We're not questioning you. That, that's your call, and to be honest with you, we have no problem with that. We don't know him that well. <laughs> so, now that he's dead, they, so on and so forth, they uh, make their way back down. Oh, <laughs> it's just stone cold. Yes, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, you know what? King's got to do it. You know, that I got to do what's best for my people. And so, uh, you know, I haven't had a chance to do that. So he goes back down. The guards are doing well at this point. Uh, more loyal guards have shown up, and there's a battle going throughout the castle um, without the um, apprentices and the magic helping them very easily. They're kind of trumped down, and the uprising is quelled. Um, any of the uh, more noble 
uh, or like I should say, no, the higher ranked guards that worked for his father aren't anywhere in the castle. Whether they were killed, whether they were went missing, what happened, nobody knows. Um, but most of the people here are newer folks. Some of them have been here a while, but they were lower ranked. Uh, Christopher recognizes some of them, especially the ones that helped them fight Repta, and very quickly says, you are in charge of this group now, you're in charge of this. We have to take back the castle. First of all, get the word out there that I'm back. Get the word out there that this happened. And bring me the head of the mages and bring me the head of the clerics. I need them here tonight, immediately. Go get them. So this happens. They go get them. Within the hour, several clerics and mages show up. And he quickly explains to them what happened. He goes, I don't know if any of you are in league with him, but I'm not going to take chances. So basically at this point, um, you're going to swear fealty. You're going to make it publicly known that I'm in charge, that I've taken back over, and that you, you know, dude was horrible, he was alone, you were going to proclaim that you want, you had nothing to do with that, his actions were horrible, and he deserved to die, and that I'm the one true king, we need to snuff this immediately, and you're going to help me find anybody else around here that might still be, you know, in disguise, loyal to him kind of thing. Um, the mages are like, well, of course, we know that we're the ones on the hook here, because you, know, you don't know, mages, right? Uh, so we're going to definitely help. Um, and Christopher's even more willing to lean on the clerics. You're the cleric of light. I'm not too worried about you. You especially, I would like you to bring some clerics in. This guy was a wizard. We need to do some detect magic spells. We need to, are there any magical traps here? Are there anything else here that I need to know about? The clerics are like, Psh, we are on that. Yes, we're just so glad to have you back. And now we can help you do that and bring the kingdom back. So again, it's one of those things where over the next few days, they snuff out a few more traders. Uh, every, the, the city begins a huge celebration, you know, because, you know, the, they have a king again. The king of Arduel is back on the throne. Uh, for, you know, a thousand years, a, 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 an Arduel has sat on the throne and, and led them uh, through prosperous times and bad, and they've never had a bad king. Uh, and everybody's just glad that Christopher's back. Um, the mages are a little circumspect. But Christopher makes it well known that no action should be taken against them because he has no reason at this point to believe that they are in league with Mage King. Um, so he doesn't want anything. He invites them to stay, so on and so forth. And he says that over the next days and weeks, I will work with you because the king does need a personal mage. I'm going to work with you. We're going to determine somebody that I can trust that, you know, we're not going to have this problem again. So... Our heroes, our eight friends, of course, uh, Christopher, knowing they're an eight group of people that are, are obviously loyal to him, very quickly move them into the castle from the from the inn. They're given rooms, uh, they're brought in to help with conversations, and he's like, do you want to stay? You want jobs? Zarin, want me personal mage? I could use one. Um, we could, all of you, even Dandy, I can give you jobs. And they're like, well, we appreciate that. We're going to help you get set up for the next couple of days, make sure you're in place, but we have a quest of our own. And they were very quiet about that. You know, they didn't when back when all this was going on. They didn't explain what they were looking for, but it's at this point they feel they should bring it up. And when it's just them with him, um, and maybe the cleric, head cleric, is there, uh, they're talking a little bit. They're like, "We actually were wondering if you can help us." And they're like, "Okay, well, with what?" And they explain kind of what they were told by Zoltan. There's magical artifacts out here. The world has been all crazy. Can it be fixed? I don't know. But Zaren says, there, there, I'm sorry, Zoltan says the only way he could do that is with these artifacts. One of them is here somewhere, and we need that. Would you be willing to potentially part off it? He's like, I'm not aware of any artifact, but we can look. Sure. And so 
they use a little magic spinny thing, and now it's pointing up. And they go up to that prayer room again, where they've already cleaned out the body, and it's been cleaned up a little bit. And some of the stuff he had in there, magic spell, artifacts, and things, and things that he'd gathered up, his his loot, if you will, the, the Mage King, in that they find a dagger. Now, the dagger, um, I have to point out, because I never said this earlier, the, these god weapons, these, these god artifacts, is what I call them, god artifacts, are all of almost like a silver, okay? A mixture between a silver and steel. They are literally indestructible. There's not a force in existence. Even the gods were not able to break or destroy them. Um, they always hold an edge if it's a weapon. They're not all weapons, uh, but the weapons always hold an edge. They can't be blunted. They don't chip. They're just immaculate. Um, and they only give the faintest amount of magic aura. Like if a wizard was to cast a detect magic on that and cast detect magic on like a ring of feather falling right next to it, which is a pretty base, easy to find magic item, the feather fall would be way glowier with magic. The artifacts don't give off a lot of magic, even though they have a lot of different abilities. Now, I'm not going to tell you what the dagger does now. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the story. But one thing that Zoltan had warned them is not to use any of the artifacts they found. He said that was important, because if you use them, then this thing, this darkness, this person, creature, whatever it is, it's, they're going to be able to pick up on that and find where you are as well. When the magic artifacts are used by anyone, it's going to make them easier to find for people like Zoltan, people like this darkness, which he just refers to as the darkness, and sometimes even you guys. You know, if you're walking around, if you didn't have this necklace, and someone's like, I have this magic sword that does all these crazy miracles. Okay, well, here's, we, let's go check out that sword. So it's very, they're told very, very carefully not to use them if they can help it. And it's at this time that, you know, he's like, yes, if this is, in, this is the artifact that you're talking about, I don't know what it is. I don't know how Mage King got it. Clearly, it wasn't on our world before the merge because they were all on that other world where Rafe and Nile at Firemoon grew up and lived. So somehow it got here. If it's going to attract a large darkness evil thing, I don't want it in here. I don't, I'm going to have enough problem. I just learned that there's an ocean in my backyard and some irritated elves 20 feet that direction. I have enough going on than to have some type of dark force coming in here after some dagger that I don't want. Please, feel free to take the dagger. If there's anything else here of Mage Kings that you would want as well, please help yourself. These items of magic are unfamiliar to me. What you don't want, I'm going to turn over to the mages or to the mage that takes over the Mage King uh, as my, my personal court mage. Um, but anything you want in here, you feel free to take. It's the least I can do for you helping me get my kingdom back. So the party's like, excellent, very cool. We've got this magical dagger. Woohoo! They have their first artifact. But what they find also is two magic items that, I'm not going to say I created them, but I created them. There's probably versions of them out there, but my versions are special. They find two chests. Now, when I say chest, they are the typical pirate-sized chest. Okay? So imagine a chest that's, you know, like what? Three feet, two feet, big chest. Hinge opens up on the top. But these are chests of holding. If you know anything about Dungeons & Dragons, you'll know that bag of holdings exist. A bag of holding can be a pouch or a sack. They're different size. And even though the bag may be this big, inside of it is way more space. Magical void space that you can put stuff in. I can take this staff, put it in my side pouch. i got a bag that's this big, but there's a whole ladder in there. That works. Chest of holding works very much the same way. The chest of holding, when you open it, 
literally there's a ladder. You can climb down and inside is a room. Inside this room, there are shelves, hooks on the wall, places for you to put things. Once you close the chest, and you can close the chest with you being in it. Someone, let me phrase, someone can close the chest if you know the command word. Zarin casts magic spells. He figures out what the command words are for these two chests of holding. And he says, if you say the command word, it'll close the chest, the people can be inside. There's a second command word that will shrink the chest to about this big. Anybody inside of it is still inside of it. You can't open it when it's small. It has to be full-sized to open, and it has to be on a solid surface. You can't open it in a wagon. You can't open it on a boat. It can't be a halt like anything. It's got to be a decent thickness beneath it. You can't put it on a plank of wood and then open it up. It has to have a certain amount of... I want to say it was like it had to be at least a two-foot solid space underneath of it. Uh, so brick, stone, rock, earth, dirt, anything like that. Like, well, we're going to take these, because these are very handy. Now, when the thing's closed, much like in a normal existence, there's a light inside, a natural light. It's like a glow, so you can see. You don't have to have a torch. But there's only enough air inside as the size of the room. So if one person's in there and it's closed, eventually you're going to run out of air. If you have five or six people in there, you're going to run out of air quicker. This is important. So if you are going to be say, hey, Dandy's going to sneak in that window at the beginning of this adventure into the castle and everybody else like Darsh is going to hide in the chest, that's fine, but you're on a time limit because they're going to run out of air and if something happens to you and you can't open it because they can't open it from inside, they're going to suffocate and die in there. So it's, it's a gamble. You've got to be sure you're going to be able to pull this off. Um, but it's also really cool because it's the one magical item of holding that other magic items of holding can go in. Normally in Dungeons & Dragons, if you put a bag of holding in a bag of holding, the magic causes it to explode. The bag, everything that was in the space is lost into the different dimension that it's in. But a chest of holding works differently. You can take other items of holding. You can take a chest of holding in a chest of holding. You can't open an item of holding inside of an item of holding. So the bag of holding, the chest of holding, literally will not open inside of a chest of holding, but they won't blow up. So these are very important items that become important to the adventure later. That's why I'm going into so much detail about them. These chest of holdings are pretty important, and we're going to see them for a time to come. But they're like, wow, we're going to take these, because now we can get all a bunch of food and supplies and rope and grappling hooks and weapons, and we can put them in there, and we can carry them around without having to have huge backpacks on or wagons and such. At the same time, we can put that dagger in one of these things, and because it's technically in another plane, another existence, it's not seekable. And they try that. They put it inside, they close the chest, spin their little whatever it is, the necklace, and it points a different direction. It does not point at the chest, even though there's an item one foot from where they're standing. It doesn't sense them in the chest. That's why it's important. They can put the artifacts in there, spin it, and it's not just going to lead them towards the ones they've already got. As a DM, I thought about this early. I'm like, it's no, no good if it only shows you the earliest one. Once you've got one, you're boned. So this is a way for them to do that. At the same time, as a DM, it keeps them from being able to use the items because they're very overpowered. And if they are going to use them for an emergency, they've got to open up the chest, go down in the chest, get it, bring it back out, and then use it, and then run the gamble that evil thing is now going to know where they are. Now, obviously, they can't use the necklace while they've got it. So it limits their ability to use these very powerful magical items. As a DM, that's important. You don't want to throw, hey, here's 12 artifacts that could destroy the whole world in a level 5 group. 
because then they're too overpowered, and if you get too overpowered too early, then they're killing things that they can't, shouldn't have been able to defeat, which is boosting their experience. It takes a lot of fun out of the adventure. So I wanted to make sure that I was giving them these items so in an emergency, if they need to use them, they could, but it's not something that everybody's going to get a hold of an artifact and everybody's going to have one and use it in every fight. It was important that we didn't throw off the balance of the story or the balance of the game by introducing these artifacts. So the chest of holding is what I used as a great way for them as a benefit while still limiting these artifacts. So I wanted to go over that. The chest of holding play an important role in the adventure as we move forward. But they take these and they decide that both Artemis and Willow are going to take one because they have the necklaces. They're going to carry them on their person because, again, they're magical. People doing detect magic uh, enemies and such, they're already going to radiate magic and they have magic items on them and the necklaces and such. It'll be a little easier to hide the chest on them than it would somebody else. Plus, they can always pass it off as they need to. Everybody knows the command word. There's a different command word per chest. The chests are slightly different colored. One was a lighter oak wood. One was a darker oak wood. I did that in person so you could tell them apart. Um, but this is a great way for them to be able to put supplies. So the, the Prince Christopher's like, yes, I'm going to give you barrels of pickled fish, barrels of water, I'm going to give you dried meats and whatever you need for your adventure, and I'm going to give you all these supplies. So now, from a playing standpoint, it's much easier for them to travel without having to, oh, we're going to run out of water tomorrow. they got eight barrels of water down there. It gets rid of some of that side stuff that can sometimes drag a party down um, in technical stuff, um, but still, they still have to, in cities, they can refill it. It's still a cost. They're going to have to purchase it. They're just buying it in lumps instead of having to seek it as much. Um, so, I wanted to go into that. So, Christopher is like, why, thank you very much. Yes, take this devil dagger out of my kingdom. I would be happy about that. Sure, take these chests. I didn't know how to use them anyways. Gives them a few bag of coins and gems. Zarin is he's the one who was kind of hinting about that. So, they got some coin reward as well to help you on your way. Um, and then, please... Thank you very much. Come by anytime. I appreciate you. You guys always have an open door here. You're welcome in my kingdom and in my castle at any time. Uh, and when he's saying that, he's you know, kind of looking at Willow like, you especially. Hey, hey, hey. You especially. <laughs> and she's a little shy about that. Hee <laughs> hee. You know, whatever. Um, but yes, they got their first magic artifact, and it was a dagger. So now it's time to spin the necklace. Which direction do we go next? After being there for a few days to a week and getting all the supplies they need and Christopher gets settled and the, the city is now calming back down, they're like, excellent. Um, they managed to get some maps of the local area, at least what over the last eight months the locals have been able to design. And their necklace says that they need to go north. I'm like, good. We were afraid we were going to have to go into the elven area and we did not want to mess with that. Luckily, that's not the case. We're going north. So they bid farewell to Christopher in the kingdom of Arduel, and our party then proceeds to go north. Um, it's good being back out on the road again, especially for Willow, who hates cities and claustrophobic around groups of people. She's much happier being out. She'd be happier in nature, but at least out in the roads, they only see occasional people passing. They're in good shape. They decide not to take horses, mostly because there doesn't exist one in this kingdom big enough that Darsh could really handle, and they don't want a wagon to tie them down because they don't know how long they're going to be on the road. So they decide to go by foot, um, and they travel with some farmers for a little while until the farmers go off to their land, and eventually they're leaving the realm of Arduel. And they travel for about a week. And as they're heading north, every so often, bing, they spin their little necklace. And it says, keep going north. I'm like, okay, north it is. And as they make their way north, they see that ahead, they see a little bit of what appears to be a mountainous area. Now, mind you, they have no idea where they are in relation to where they were before. Zoltan opened up a portal. They went through. They could be a thousand miles away, or that could be the mountains they were in originally. 
they don't know. Zoltan did not give them that information. They only know where they are now. So they wake up and they, the road eventually fades off. They hit another part where the merge happened and suddenly the road just stops and now it's just grassy plains. So they're making their way across the grassy plains. Um, you know, and hunting and foraging. They're not trying to use all their supplies in their chest. They try to live off the land as much as they can and save some of that stuff for emergencies. Um, even when the baggage, the chest of holding are shrunk, time still moves in there. Food will go bad and so on. So that's something they have to be aware of. Uh, so they try to do things like jerkies and um, seeds and things that they can make into types of gruel, things like that. Um, and throughout the adventure, the characters, of course, get little magical items and such over time. Um, so as they do, I'm not going to go into a lot of those unless the item is important. You know, because somebody may have at this point a ring of featherfall. That, that's a cool ring. It's an early adventure ring that a lot of people get. Uh, U2EZ, hey, hi, welcome to the stream. Um, but some of those basic magic items are there. Unless they're important, I'm not really going to go into detail of all the loot they get, because over time they get new loot, lose loot, use it up, don't use it up. I'm only going to talk about things like the chest of holding when it's important to the story. So as they're heading up north, they get up there and they're traveling and they get to basically what was, okay, there's mountains now. We either have to go left around the mountains, which is west, or we have to go to the right east around the mountains. We're far, far north of the um, Elven Kingdom, so we can go fine. We've left the Elven Woods a long time ago. So if we we go left or right, they're like, I don't know. Let's spin the necklace and see which way to go, because the necklace is our guiding light. We haven't heard from Zoltan in a while, so let's just keep following the necklace. So Artemis takes out her necklace, and she flicks it. And it starts flashing in two directions, both east and west. This is frustrating. They're like, oh, is it broken? Willow says, well, let me get out mine. They both do it at the same time. And when they do, Willow's points to the east and Artemis's points to the west. Technically, this would mean that there is an artifact in approximate equal, because it's supposed to go the closest one. That's awfully close to be equal. That's odd. What do we do? Well, they're a little bit torn now. They're like, well, we could go one direction, but if we go one direction this way, then what if that one gets goes missing? We can't find that one. What if that one's really closer? And they decide to stay make camp there, and they decide to just kind of chill out and think about it and try it again in the morning. Maybe one of them's moving, and they'll get a better clue in the morning. They sleep. The next morning they get up. Spin them again, exact same thing. One's pointing to the east, one's pointing to the west. It's decision time. Do we go east or do we go west? After some talking and discussing it and knowing how important this is, the party decides to split. Not permanently. We'll just go, half of us will go one way, half of us will go the other. Maybe go that direction, we'll pick a specific time. We'll travel three days in that direction. If we don't find anything, We'll come back, meet up again, and go towards whichever one is more important. Whichever one seems easier to get or more challenging to get, whatever the case may be. Maybe we'll get a clue as to what we're looking for, and we can target that. So it became important of how are we going to split the party? Okay. So four of them are going to go each direction. There's eight of them total. Okay. In Willow's direction, she's going to the east Willow is going to take with her... Let me see. I want to make sure I have the parties right because I don't want to mess this up later. I know that going west... Going west is Dandy, 
Give me a second here. I want to make sure I don't mess up. Dandy goes that direction. That one goes that direction. Yes. So Shadow goes with Dandy. I know they're together. Um, let's see. Shadow goes with Dandy. I apologize. I'm drawing a blank on this. I should have had this written down. Shadow and Dandy go together. And... Darsh and Willow go together. Those are not the same groups. This is a situation where Darsh and um, Dandy are split. And part of that reason is they decide to put a cleric in each party. That's right. So Willow is going her direction. And with her, she's taking Darsh, Willow and Darsh, Artemis, Dandy, Shadow. Fig is going with Willow. Fig is our little gnome warrior, right? Okay. And then Zarin makes up the last one with Artemis's group. So it's Artemis, Zarin, Shadow, and Dandy. So basically, a cleric, a rogue, a warrior, and a mage. Classic party. In the other group, we have Darsh, a warrior, Mercy, a warrior. Is that doing? Yeah. Mercy, Darsh, and. Oh, what's this? Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Another question here. Uh, so Mercy, Darsh, and. Fig, and Willow. They're going that direction. Okay? So that's the two groups. They said, okay, we're going to split this way. Our clerics in both group. You got the mage, the warrior, the wizard. We got a couple warriors. We're going to go like this. We're going we're gonna to do our best. We're going to travel for like three days, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to meet up. Okay? So they're like, okay, that sounds like a plan. They decide on doing that. And they spit their fellows. We'll see you, hopefully, if we go three days and then come back three days. We'll see each other in a week. Um, worst comes down to it. If we all get lost, eventually let's try to meet back up at RDL. It's the best thing that we can try to do. We know where RDL is. Somebody will know where RDL is. At least that's a home base we can hang out at. So the party splits, and they travel that direction. So we got one group going this way and one group going that way. Now, for the story purposes, there are two reasons that I did this. There's a reason that I split the party up. Um, reason number one, purely to make the, the adventure a little bit easier. Um, I had four players in this group, each playing two characters. And very quickly I realized with eight people, eight characters, things like combat and things were taking a long time. And kind of like I was talking about the artifacts earlier, that was a pretty powerful group of people. Especially when you throw in some really good warriors, a mage, a couple clerics. Even though they were all not individually powerful, as a group, they were able to take out things a little bit higher level than they should have. And so by splitting them up for a little while, it allowed them to kind of take on adventures and um, scenarios that were a little more equal to their level and capabilities. Um, and then it was also important for a story beat that we're going to see a little bit in the future. Um, it was important that I split them up, especially splitting up two of those characters, which I can't say which two it is, but it was important I split up two of them for something important that happens down the road. Um, but with that being said, the parties have split, one going east, one going west, four per group. Each one has a necklace, each one has a chest of holding, and... Artemis's group takes the dagger. That's also important. She has the chest of holding that has the first artifact they have with them, and they're going to the west. Willow's group's going to the east. So the group split up, wish each other well, we'll try to meet back up in the next few days. Does that happen? We'll find out next time, because we've been running now for about almost two hours. 
Uh, we are sitting on an hour and 50 minutes, and I've been trying to keep it less than two hours each time because uh, I don't want to um, <laughs> blow everything up, right? I, I definitely want to make sure people aren't sitting for super long periods. And I know we've only done, we've done, we've barely scratched the adventure of this. Like at the rate we're going, I, it's probably going to take 30 or 40 minutes. 50 of these videos to tell the whole damn story. And the worst part is, I have more story that we never actually played. I knew what was going to happen next. So eventually we're going to get to a point where I'll be telling story that never was ever played. It was just ready for it. So I'm excited to get to that as well. But that being said, I think this is a good stopping point for the story. I'm going to take a couple minutes to see if anybody has any questions um, about anything that we've covered. Uh, something you'd like to know about a character. Um, about their class, their abilities, what weapons do they carry? Um, is there anybody else, any questions that anybody would like to, to have me answer? I'm happy to try to do that as long as it doesn't blow the story later. Um, and Neon, thank Richard, thank you very much for helping um, you two easy out with that. I really appreciate that. I, I couldn't really jump in off the top of my head with that answer. Um, and then Jack does Disney. Uh, oh no, what a cliffhanger. Listen for a while. I've been enjoying this very well. Thanks. Um, how long have you been DMing for as well? Um, I have been DMing now for approximately 31 years. Um, and this story I started running, it was like late 93, early 94 is when this campaign started. In fact, one of our members in the group, you'll see Scott in there. Um, He's one of our, uh, one, has one of the memberships. Uh, Scott was actually played one of the very first characters. And then as I moved around and had different groups, um, each group, their characters continued the story. So the group we're doing right now carried on the story from Scott and my other high school friends group. In my mind, it's on one long story with one long history, but to each group, they had the adventure of learning what came before them and where they went after that. Um, so this story itself has been running since like late 93, early 94 is when uh, Scott and my friend Keith and I, the three of us, started this adventure. Um, but yeah, I, I, I and I've, I've run it through several groups um, and it's changed over time. So what we're in right now is really the, the vast meat of the story. These characters are really the, the main thing that's going to cover us for a long period of time. Um, there are some characters that will come after. Some of those are characters I created that we never actually got to play. Um, but they are definitely important to the story. Um, and that's something that most of my characters, or my, my, my players, learn to dread, is when I say that I'm going to do something because it's good for the story. Doesn't necessarily mean it's good for them. Maybe good for them down the way. But in my head, everything I wrote was for the story. I wanted to be able to look back on it and say, oh, I see why that worked out, or I, I see why you planted that seed and how it, how it grew into something important later. Um, anything that was bad for them at the time but good for the story ended up working out well in the long run anyways, and, and rarely was there a situation where somebody was unhappy with it down the road. They were, they were not happy with it at the time when I did something very bad to them, <laughs> but in the end, what came from that really, really help the story grow and jump into that. So um, it's something that uh, is important to me that the, the story stays in it. So uh, I've been said I've, I've told this story many, many times with friends and in different groups, um, and I've been wanting to share it on the internet. I always wanted to write it, but I found that I, I, I feel I'm a better storyteller than I am a story writer. Um, it does not show up as well on paper as it does as I tell it from voice. So on paper, I can't do what I call the fluff, the as the wind blew across the golden meadows. I, I, I just, I'm not good at that. Um, I have some parts that I will read um, where I actually wrote out two or three pages, and, and that's the information that I read to the characters. 
So I will be reading them to you, the same thing they heard while they were playing the game. Um, in the part we're in right now, I don't have any of that because we had a basement flood when I lived with my parents years ago and I lost a lot of the early paperwork. So a lot of the stuff we're doing right now is purely from my memory. Um, but there's a certain point we're going to hit where I'm sitting here next to me and I have just shelves of binders of all the story from that one point on. Um, so it's... Uh, it's definitely something that's important to me, and I'm excited to get to share it with everyone here. So I'm glad to see that people are enjoying it. Um, if you are enjoying it, please smack a like on there. Um, if you haven't before, be sure to follow the channel. Uh, you can subscribe and hit that little bell. You'll get notifications. I do this story every other Sunday. Um, and then on Mondays and Thursdays, I stream primarily Minecraft, but I also do some... Um, other things like Jackbox with the community, which I think we're going to be doing this Thursday. Tomorrow night I'll be back on doing Minecraft. Um, also, if you're interested, if you click the little join button on the page, you'll see the information that comes with an ODG membership. Uh, these are different perks and such that come with it, such as uh, memberships come with, of course, the cool little icons next to the names. You'll see that Scott and Neon have the little dice there. That's a 20-sided D&D dice color changes and the number in it changes the more months you're in there. You have access to uh, special ODG emojis uh, for the stream uh, that were created by a good friend of mine named Shadowcast. You also get access to the members-only Discord. Um, you get head starts in multiplayer games. And anything else I can think of, I'm just going to... Anytime I come up with a perk, I just add it to that one. I mean, there's not going to be different tiers. Um, so that's... If something you're interested in, like to take a look at it, always appreciate that. But you don't have to. Everything I put out comes out for free anyways. Um, I'm just happy to have people who are listening to the story and enjoying it. Um, so yeah, and if you want, if you if you know anybody else who might like this, please feel free to share it on your socials or let other people know um, about the story. Um, I really enjoy telling it to people, and, and I'm, I'm hoping people are enjoying it as much as I'm. it was for me to write it. So, uh, before I call it then, were there any other last-minute questions about... Just D&D &D in general, my story, how I write, the characters, anything about them. Um, again, if you're watching this later and you have some questions, feel free to throw those down in the comments. Um, I will definitely do my best to get back with them and answer them as much as possible. If it's something that requires a long answer, um, I will definitely address it on the next Merge World stream. Um, and I'll talk about answer the questions on there. If it's something short, I may just put it right in the comments and reply to you directly. Um, but you can also go to my website, onlydraven.com, and there you can see the pictures of the different actors and such that I use to represent the characters, so that way you can see what I see in my mind. We're seeing the same thing. Um, so that's a great place for resources such as my streaming schedule and all my videos. So there's my little commercial at the end, um, uh, which says, that was a cool story. Thanks. Looking forward to the next episode. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Two weeks from now, we'll be back to do it again um, with our next exciting installment of Merged Worlds. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and call that a day. Thank you very much, everyone who's come by and watched uh, and who everyone continues to hopefully enjoy the story as much as I am. Uh, it's great to have an audience to be able to share this with. So uh, that is going to call us a day. So you all have yourselves a great evening, and we'll see you soon. Have a great day.